Hey there, and welcome to the Refuge Podcast. We're a podcast of Crossroads Community Church here in Nampa, Idaho. And here at the church, we believe in being a place of refuge, transformation, and partnership with God. My name is Charlie, and I'm a pastor here at the church. And I'm Scott, and I'm one of the partners here at Crossroads. And uh, we are talking about pruning today. And if you know anything about gardening, which I do not, uh, pruning is this this thing that is used in gardening so that you can create more fruit. We're going to talk more about what that is, but it made me think of, you know, when you take something away, and for many of us, we've had a lot of things taken away from us in this season. And uh, we can think that that's God or that's the situation or, you know, I don't know. I don't like saying things are God if I'm not sure they're not. And maybe God is using this time to take some things away. Maybe those things are being taken away and and we can still be grateful. But this has been kind of a crazy season where a lot of things have been taken away from us. I totally agree. And I'm with you there. I, I always hesitate to say, oh, this is definitely God or this is definitely not God. Uh, I I don't know if this is God or not, but I certainly want to be open to the fact that if it is God, I certainly don't want to miss the chance to be pruned, right? And to, to miss a wonderful opportunity to, to bear more fruit. Yeah. And so just to encourage you, wherever you are, I think sometimes we, we see God doing things, we see bad things happening, we see that as God punishing us. We need to understand that often it is not, that our God is a loving Father that he doesn't want to punish. Instead, he wants to set us up to grow. And so if God is doing pruning in your life, it's because he loves you and he wants to be more fruitful. He wants to be with you. And so we're excited for what God is doing in this season for you and for us. Uh, But for now, let's listen to Pastor Jim's message and then we'll get together and talk about it. I uh, I love being together with God's people. I hope you do. If you're not able to be there and you're listening in online this morning, you are with us in heart, spirit. We're with you. If you're listening in the overflow room, uh, we are with you as well, and you're with us. We are here together as the body of Christ to, uh, yes, to worship, to lift up, to praise, uh, and our weapon is our melody. That's, that's a good word, because we're going to talk about uh, singing songs and hymns and, and choruses to one another next week in the passage of Ephesians 5. Uh, let's remember that this week, because that's, that's really good. But, but, you know, the thing about this this uh, time together uh, as a church in this time in history, we're, we're going through a very transitional time, aren't we? It, nobody really, I, I just talked to a, uh, someone who is well-educated in all things COVID and infectious diseases. And I said, so what's the real story? And they said, no one knows the real story. I said, okay, good. So I just wanted to make sure that if anybody says, I got this all figured out, just be careful of that, okay? The, the fact is, we don't have it all figured out, but we do know the one who has it all figured out, okay? He has us, and, and as Pam reminded us, the victory is ours. And, and so as we come to the passage in Ephesians this morning, um, Paul is talking about this transition. Remember, this is a church that's a fairly new church, okay? The church at Ephesus. This is a church that has not only got a whole letter written to it, the book of Ephesians, it's a, it's a church that is, that is written to um, by means of their young pastor, Timothy, in First and Second Timothy. So that's also Ephesians. But this church of Ephesians is also mentioned in the book of Revelation, one of the seven churches. So Ephesians is a pretty important church, okay? And, and there's a reason for it. There's lots of reasons for it. But we find so much that relates to us. This was a church in transition, These people were coming out of paganism. 
the, the dominant religion of the city was, was pagan. And it was a fertility goddess, Diana or Artemis. And so they're coming out of that. But we also have a Jewish community who are now coming to Christ. And so what's happening in this church is that culture clashes are happening. Values and morals and language and religious practices. All of this is melding into one community of faith. One baptism. One Lord. One Savior. And, and they're learning what it means to be one, but we're no different, are we? There, it's not easy to 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 come together as one. Uh, and, and in order to do that, there are things in my life that need to be pruned. If something good is going to emerge in my life, something sometimes needs to be pruned. The word prune comes to my mind on this passage because Paul is going to refer to a word fruitless deeds of darkness and also fruitful uh, results of light. So when we think about fruit, the word prune comes to mind. Now, it means to eliminate superfluous matter for more fruitful growth. Last week, we talked about the first two verses of chapter five. If you have your Bibles, then we're going to look at those. But the first two verses tell us that because we're dearly loved children of the Father... We can imitate Christ who gave his life up for us. The model is self-sacrifice. What we're to imitate is sacrifice. But sacrifice is going to affect all of our relationships. So this early church that Paul's talking to, it's going to affect the relationship in the church. But it's also going to affect relationships in marriages when they go home. But it's also going to affect relationships between fathers and their children. And it's also going to affect relationships with employers, employees. We're going to unpack that over the next three, three weeks, how this sacrifice affects those relationships. But there's a lot today that people talk about, uh, with, about sacrifice in relationship. And most of what you read, if you Google it, is, is what you need to be careful not to sacrifice. We talk a lot about boundaries. Ever heard that word? Yeah, about 15, 20 years ago, you say boundaries and people thought of property. Now you say boundaries, everybody's like, oh yeah, don't let anybody walk on me, okay? So when we think about imitating Christ, who sacrificed, so laying down his life so that we might have what, what we experience in him, him being our model, what do we do with all of this? Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says we're to imitate him. So that means sacrificing all of my relationships is the goal. But we're living in this time when, when, when we're trying to be real careful that we don't overly sacrifice. Uh, I, I did read an interesting article on marriage and psychology today. And uh, they were talking specifically about sacrifice. And I actually thought this was pretty good. They said these partners uh, consciously practice showing mutual support to each other's needs always with an eye towards what best serves their relationship long-term. They do this with an understanding that when differences arise, they'll find compromise, a middle way. Sometimes that means giving in to the other's desires in a particular situation, knowing that doing so best serves the relationship as a whole. But most importantly, that's done with trust, that neither one will exploit the sacrifice for manipulative self-serving purposes. And if every relationship worked that way, wouldn't this world be a wonderful place? 
it's great advice. And yet Jesus, the one that we're to imitate, sacrificed even when we exploited his sacrifice for self-serving purposes. You see, when we follow Christ by sacrificing, it will sometimes be exploited. Do we still want to imitate him? If, he, if, I, if he's the one that I'm to imitate and he sacrifices, do I, do I want to live sacrificially? I don't know about you. I, I don't like to lose. I don't like to be taken advantage of. I hate to be ripped off or walked on. Hmm. And yet Jesus sometimes laid down his life. Huh. Let me ask you this, though. Is giving up always a bad thing? I remember my, my son watched his grandpa, my dad, in his later years. My dad had Alzheimer's, and, and grandma was driving, and grandpa was in the passenger seat. And my son said, Dad... When I see mom driving and you riding, I've known you've given up. <laughs> but is it always bad? We give up things all the time to gain something greater, don't we? We, we may give up poor eating to invest in our physical health. We might give up frivolous spending in order to invest wisely so that we have something when we retire. Those are good things. Um, but on the negative side, we could give up our family time so that we can get more money. We could give up discipline so that we can live carelessly. We give up stuff all the time to get something else. If I want something bad enough, I'll be willing to give up something else. Here's the question. Do I want to be like Christ? Because it will include sacrifice. And if that's going to happen in my life, there's going to be things that need to be pruned from my life. Ephesians 5, 1 through 16 is what we're going to read this morning if you have your Bibles. Reading from the NLT, New Living Translation. Here we go. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Because why? You are his dear children. Live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, they're not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral or impure or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and, and of God, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins for the anger of God will fall upon those who disobey. Don't participate in the things these people do. That, that word there literally means don't partner up with them. Don't partner up with them. For once you were, once you were, once you were, once you were. Did I read that right? Okay, yeah, I did. Once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. 
For this light within you produces fruitful. That's the word meaning here. Only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. That word in the literal translation of the Bible is fruitless, okay? Fruitless. Remember that. It's important. But instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For this is why it said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Huh. It begins with this. Because you are dearly loved children, live this way. We've talked about this before. Some of you have seen it. Maybe some of you haven't. I'm going to show it to you again. This is what we call the covenant identity triangle. The scripture over here on the left, Mark 1.9, is, is the story of Jesus' baptism. When he comes to be baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, as he's, as he's going down in the water, the voice from heaven says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now, if you'll notice here, Mark is chapter one. That means this is the beginning of the gospel. But this is the beginning of the three-year story of Jesus. Before Jesus does anything, Jesus said, or God says to him, you are my son, I love you, I'm well pleased. Before he did anything. What we learn from that is this. It's not what we do that causes God to love us. He loves us because we're created in his image. Because you are dearly loved children, this is how you live. You see, because of Jesus knowing his identity was a a loved child of God, his service then, uh, his obedience was out of freedom. It was out of thankfulness. I serve God not because I'm trying to earn God's love. I can't earn God's love. You can't earn God's love. God's love is already a fact. Okay? It's a fact. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter whether I feel unworthy or think that I'm not deserving of it. I'm not. (laughs) Welcome to the club. The fact is, he loves us. As his dearly loved children, this is the way we live. Why? Because it becomes thankfulness at that point. So that's where we have to remember as we, as we look at this. And because of that, I can be like him. He actually empowers me to, so that I can imitate him. I can live invitationally and intentionally. Um, but in order to do that, there are things in my life that have been set up against God. Okay, so let's go to the church in Ephesus. These are pagans. These are Jews coming out of their their backgrounds and all of the differences now trying to be one in Christ. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't work anymore. Values and morals and practices, they just don't line up with what it means to be in Christ. Those things, therefore, need to be pruned from their lives. He talks about this word darkness. It needs to be pruned so that real life can flourish in me. Old ways, beliefs, cultural conflicts, racial struggles, religious convictions, practices, things that have hindered me understanding what it means to be like Christ need to go away so that this new life can emerge. I think that pruning is a real thing in the Bible. Um, I think that we're in a time in history where we're being pruned. 
Remember what pruning is. It's removing that which is superfluous so that that which needs to emerge can grow. I think that there are some things that are never going to come back that don't need to come back. How, how many of you are gardeners? Raise your hand. I mean, not just that you've planted something before, but that you fancy yourself a fairly knowledgeable gardener. How many? How many? Raise your hand. More in this service than in the first service. So I'm gonna, I'm, I'll take anything from your gardens. Thank you. Um, the first service is like, you know, one or two. I'm like, okay, aren't we an agricultural community? Okay, just checking. I am not. I don't have a green thumb. I, I don't, I don't, no. Mm-mm. Wouldn't be prudent. I don't know how to prune. I don't know what pruning, I don't understand it. There's a, did you know there's a science to it? Some of you are going, of course there is. I, somebody one time said, your rose bushes look bad. You need to prune them. Well, okay, so I got the hedge trimmers out and I, <laughs> I pruned them. You're laughing. I didn't think it was funny. I thought it was, I thought I was doing the right thing. So, so I just like, I'll cut 20% off of everything. Well, I probably did cut 20% off of some bad stuff, but I also cut 20% off of the stuff that was really doing well. The result was it was ugly and it never got better. Pruning is not just whacking the stuff out of our lives. Pruning is meticulous work and it's done by the person who knows what they're doing, which makes me think, that pruning is not only happening in America, ha- pruning is happening in the church. There are things that we're not going to get back, but we don't need them back. But there's also some things, because we're being pruned, that feel like loss right now, but is going to turn into great fruit. In the name of Jesus, for the glory of God. Why? Because he's the gardener. Why prune? I don't think that Paul, we need to be careful here that we don't spend too much time in this, but I think he's thinking of the words of Jesus when Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, my father is the gardener. This passage is in John 15. I don't want to get off on this too much, but I think this gives us insight. Jesus said, I'm the true grapevine, my father's the gardener. He cuts off, and I, I put there lifts up. The better translation is lifts up. I'll tell you about this in a, in a second. But he cuts off, lifts up every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Jesus is pretty clear here. God is the gardener. Father, the Father is the gardener. He's the, the vine. We're the branches. Now, now it, it, when I think of grapes, I think of you know, the Western uh, grapes that you see here in America. They're, they're all up on poles and lines and all this kind of stuff. We think that's the way we've always grown grapes. But in the first century culture, that's not the way they grew them. In fact, we, I was up on Mount Nebo, which is where Moses bid goodbye to this world, and, and I came across a farmer who was growing grapes like they grew in first century culture. So when Jesus is talking about grapevines, this is what he meant. They grew the grapes on the ground. The grapes, the, gra- the grapes grew up, and they just spread out all over the place. Now, why am I telling you this? This is really important. Because what happens is those, as those vines go out, the branches come out, and they begin to grow fruit. The problem is sometimes those little things go out and instead of growing fruit, they go back down into the ground and try to become a vine on their own. Huh. That's never happened to me. I've never said to God, I've got this, I can do it on my own, thanks. 
So when we look at the original Greek in this passage, it says he cuts off those that do not bear fruit. The word literally translates better and in most cases lifts up. What does that mean? This is how farmers do it. If you can see a picture there, you might see some rocks there, but they literally will cut those things off and put a rock under it so it puts its energy back into growing fruit instead of trying to become a vine. That preaches right there, doesn't it? But he also says this, he also prunes those branches that are bearing fruit. Wait a minute, I thought I was doing good. Yeah, you are, but you're going to do better. Huh. But then he also talks about that third one. That branch that thinks it can survive apart from Christ. It can't, it can't produce fruit. Huh. So when Paul is talking to them in this passage about the fruitless deeds of darkness and the fruitful uh, results of light, in your life. We need to understand uh, uh, that he's probably thinking along these lines. Worthless deeds is literally translated from the word fruitless. These are the works that produce nothing that is God glorifying. And what Paul is saying, we gotta, we gotta let those things be pruned from our lives, the fruitless deeds of darkness. So, so what are some of those things? The, um, the worthless deeds uh, uh, that are translated fruitless, the question is, why do we prune uh, the, that which is fruitless in our lives? Why would we do that? There's only one reason. We do this so fruitfulness can emerge in our lives. Okay? That's it. It's, it's, it's really that simple. And, and so what are some of those, those things that are being pruned? The word he uses here for darkness is scotizo. Scotizo is absolute utter darkness. Um, the 55 plus group uh, is um, from Crossroads here is going up north to uh, ride the Hiawatha Trail this next Sunday. So I won't be here. I'll be with the, with the church group up there uh, riding through the, the, I don't know how many mile path of a bike trail. But apparently that we go through a really, really dark tunnel that they say you need really good light for. Why? Because you can't see in front of your hand in front of your face if you don't have light. That would be a beautiful picture of scotizo. It means the absolute absence of light. Utter darkness. What it means spiritually is the absolute utter absence of God's presence or influence in my life. I'm on my own. I do my own thing. God doesn't have any influence in my life. Those are the deeds of darkness that Paul's referring to that need to be trimmed, uh, 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 pruned from our, our lives. And when I'm living that way, I'm living for myself. I'm not living sacrificially. <clears throat> I'm using people. I'm not serving people. And so when he starts explaining what some of these things look, look like, he talks about sexual immorality. The word in the Greek there is porneia. It's where we get the word pornography. But, but when we think of pornography, we think of like, like uh, words or pictures. That's not what the word means in the original text. It means, it means sexual uh, uh, activity outside the bounds of marriage. And why would he say that? These are people coming out of the Diana Artemis fertility cult into Christianity. They actually worshiped with sexuality. This is a life that they've been growing up in, living in, now coming to Christ. He's going, yeah, that, mm, no. How do I know that? The next week, we're going to, or the next few passages, he's going to talk about husbands and wives loving each other. And that was rocking their world. Like, what? Yeah, yeah. Just you. Wow. So in other words, don't take advantage of others for your own pleasure. 
See, that, that's what he's, he's talking about here. The immorality, the greed, the impurity, the foolish talk, the abusive language. It's, it's living sacrificially like Christ lived. It's living in such a way that, it, that you invite others into the life with Christ. This idea of worthless this is, is fruitless. It, it says take no part in that. Don't partner up with those who do it. Now, Paul has already, already clearly taught them this. <clears throat> this letter that is being written to the church at Ephesus is, is the result of continued struggles that they're having. So when Paul is saying these words, it's not the first time they're hearing it. <clears throat> and I want to be careful here because this is, this is hard for us to hear. What Paul is saying is, I'm revisiting this. See? Um, because there is continuing, I'm hearing stories of continued sexual abuse or abusing the sexual relationship and continued racism and continued infighting. And so what Paul is really saying here when he says don't live like fool, fools or don't, don't be foolish, he is saying you could call it ignorance if you'd never heard me say that. But if you've heard me say that and you continue to live this life, it's not any longer ignorance, it's obstinance. And he says don't live foolishly. The word fool in the original text is someone who refuses to be transformed. Wisdom is to hear the words and to embrace them. To say, okay, Lord, I, I, I'm, I can't do that on my own, but your Holy Spirit that you promised to give me, you, you said that I can through your power, so I, I invite you to prune, to do whatever you need to do, because I want this abundant life that you promised. I'm, I'm, I'm all yours. That's wisdom. It is foolishness to say, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to continue to live like this, even though I know the truth. What Paul is saying is don't be foolish, be wise. Hmm. So, so why would we get rid of this fruitful, fruitlessness? It's so that fruitfulness can emerge. So the fruit that results from pruning is, is this idea of light. And light, the result of that is goodness and righteousness and truth. Now the word light here is interesting. It's photos, like photos, photos. But it's interesting, this word specifically, photos, see, here's the thing about the Bible. Um, there are so many words that could have been used by the writers, but they use these words. So it's imperative that we understand what these words mean and why they used these words, okay? Um, two of my favorite uh, uh, Bible scholars, uh, Lou Nida, are, are more modern, and that's their approach that they take. We, they never underestimate the word, the use of a particular word. Why is this word used? Photos is used here specifically by Paul because this is what photos means. It doesn't mean a source of light. It means a light that comes from the reflection of a source of light. So when he says you are light, he's not saying you have found your inner light. He is saying because you are in Christ who is light, the light is reflecting off of you, like the moon does off the sun. Now, there are people today who will say you need to find your inner light. 
What Paul, is say is, what Paul would say is, actually, the absence of light is skotidzo, the utter absolute absence of God. There's no light there. I can't go find my inner light. There ain't none. The only light that you might see is the light that reflects from my life off of the light of Christ in me. That's it. I've got no light other than the light that comes from him. And what is the fruit of that light? It's goodness, it's righteousness, it's truth. Literally, it's translated here from the original Greek, the fruit of light is goodness, righteousness, and truth. What is goodness? Only God is good. It means the very character and competency of Christ is beginning to emerge in your life. People are going to see things and they're going to look at you and go, you know, and all the craziness, there's something about you. You seem to have this character like Jesus. The way you do things, it's like, it's like you do things, the way you talk, the way you treat other people, it's like, like how Jesus did things. That's the goodness. But it also says righteousness. We see the word righteous and we think westernly. We have to think biblically. The word biblically, righteous, is a two-sided coin. And the word righteous also means justice. Same word. Righteous, justice. Righteous, justice. It's the same word. So, so, so righteousness is not just me trying to be a good boy. Righteousness is me trying to, to imitate Christ, but also to care about justice. So when I see oppression happening, I speak and say something. I do something. When I see abuse happening, I do something about it. I don't wait for somebody else to do it. Because righteousness is not just me trying to do better. Righteousness is also justice. They're inseparable. So there's goodness, there's righteousness. And what's, what's that last one? Truth. There's a lot of people today who say, well, you can have your truth, I'll have my truth. Isn't that kind of silly when we really think about it? How can two truths be true? Jesus said, I am the way, the Okay, he's the truth. So to live out the truth, the fruit of light being truth, that means Jesus is the truth. Whatever he says, that's what goes. (laughs) However he did it, that's the way we're going to do it. Why? Because he's the truth. I need to do that with love and tenderness and compassion and courage. Because he's truth. That's the fruit of light. That's what God is wanting to emerge in the life of the church at Ephesus. And that's what he wants to see emerge in our lives. How's that going to look in my life? It's going to look towards you, encouragement. You're going to feel encouraged. You're going you're to be a person who thinks of others before you're thinking of yourself. Why? Because Christ sacrificed and we are imitating him. You're going to be kind of a person who has a commitment, a firm resolve to stand for the truth in love, even though it may require sacrifice on your part. And then he ends this this section with verse 16. And reading it here from the NLT, uh, 
make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Paul acknowledges those days that they were living in were evil days. You might feel like, well, these days are evil days. Make the most of every opportunity. It's an it's a actual idiom that he's referring to. In other words, an idiom is like a, a well-known phrase. And what the phrase was to them, to their ears, was redeem the times. Redeem the times. What does that mean? I love that phrase, redeem the times. Don't let the times re, um, change you. You redeem the times. Who's he talking to? Just the leaders? No, he's talking to the whole church. Okay, not just the leaders. That's all of us right now. Redeem the times. What does that mean? Well, it literally means do something with an intensity and urgency. But he's speaking about this in terms of the kingdom. Redeem the times in these, redeem the, the, these times in these evil days. He is saying we need to have a high kingdom sense of urgency. Now, let's be honest. There are people who personality-wise have a real high sense of urgency and others who have a fairly low sense of urgency. Generally, those two don't get along real well. Okay? Paul's not talking about personality traits here. He's not saying, if you have this high sense of urgency, turn that into a kingdom sense. No, he's saying redeem the times. Whatever you are personality-wise, have a high sense of kingdom urgency. These are days when the world, though it may not want it, needs to hear the truth. They need to see the righteousness of Christ in us and through us, which is not just being good, but it's also justness and justice. They need to see the goodness of God coming out of our lives as we love, as we sacrifice. Why? Because it's always invitational. People are drawn to the Lord when they see that in us. Hmm. That means I'm not lazy. I'm not waiting for things to happen. I'm not waiting for somebody else to do something. I understand I am called to have a high kingdom sense of urgency. These days are evil. I could wring my hands. I could complain on Facebook. <laughs> or I could live my life in such a way that people think I have a secret. God's in charge. And we will not fear. We may be being pruned. <laughs> there might be some things we're going to lose that we think, oh, no, how am I going to live without that? We'll be fine. But the gardener, who is the father, is precise and never wrong. And when he prunes, it is always so more fruit might come about. I'm not worried about pruning in the church because I am convinced that what emerges in the long run will be far better than we could have ever asked for or imagined. Because he's the gardener. We're just branches. <laughs> I can be passive about this, but the scripture says, no, we're all to redeem the times. I could be aggressive about it, but remember, Christ's model of sacrifice is what we're following. I could be passive-aggressive about it and say, well, I know what to do. I'm just not willing to do it. 
remember this whole thing. Comes down to a question, is there pruning that I need to allow in my life? Why? Because I'm his dearly loved child, and so are you. Because we are his dearly loved children. He begins to unpack this. It begins with us being loved and challenging us to love like Christ did by sacrificing. It's going to transform our relationships, but it will require pruning. As we talked about it this week as a staff, talking about pruning in, the, in this land, in the church, in individuals, we thought about this as being a sort of an opportunity to redeem this time by, by making sure that Christ is first and foremost in our lives. People are going to see that. But one person said this, and I, I wrote it down. Remember this. Tell the people this. Don't think pruning is because you did something wrong. I said, what do you mean? They said, look at the second part of John 15. And those branches that are bearing fruit, he prunes so they bear more fruit. The pruning in my life and your life is not always because we did something wrong. Sometimes we're doing a lot of good things. It's just that we're not able to do the best thing that he wants for us because we're doing so many good things. And he may begin to prune some of those things so that what emerges is excellent. That's a good word. Hmm. Remember that whole idea of lifting up is not cutting off like, oh, God's cutting you off. It's, it's I'm, I'm removing this temptation that you have to be autonomous and act like God. I'm God. <laughs> I'm the vine. Hello. You're the branch. Bear fruit. Stop trying to be a vine. But there may be things in my life that need to be cut out, immorality or greed or impurity or foolish talk or abusive language. But let's remember this about John 15. Who is the one who does the pruning? The gardener. We don't self-prune. So if you just made a list of the 10 things you need to prune from your life right now, I want you to do something right now. Tear that list up, wad it up, and throw it out on the way out. If the gardener needs pruning in your life, he will gently and lovingly point it out. All you and I need to do is cooperate and say, okay, okay. So throw your list away and trust the gardener. We don't prune. We cooperate with the one who does. And he's never wrong and he's always precise. Are you ready to imitate the one who dearly loves you? Let me just close with this one thought too. That third category he talked about, those branches that are not bearing fruit that are cut off. He said, it's because you think you can bear fruit apart from me. (laughs) Here's the deal, you guys. If I think I can produce anything of lasting value or significance in my own effort and strength apart from Christ, I'm a fool. But Jesus' confrontations were always invitational. He never hit people without also inviting them to be grafted in. You might be thinking here this morning, my life is darkness. It doesn't look like this light that you're talking about. 
I'm afraid I might be that third category, that branch that's going to be cut off because the only reason Jesus would bring it up is so that we would realize, what? He invites us to be grafted in so that we might produce fruit. This is for everyone of us to hear, whether you've been walking with Christ for a long time, whether you've been walking with him for a short time, or whether you've considered walking with him but haven't yet trusted your life to him. And why do we do all this? Because you are his dearly loved child. Would you bow your heads? Maybe this morning you realize that there's no fruit. And you recognize in this moment that Jesus, the branch, or the vine, is inviting you to become a part, to become a branch. It actually has the, the very life of Christ flowing through your veins. Yeah, you know, you said at the, at the top that, and I think that's so true, God is often pruning for our benefit. In fact, he always is. He says everything he's doing for the good of those who love him, you know. And I think sometimes we have to give up things to gain things. And um, I know for me, like, I have been trying to get healthier. So what do I need to do? I need to give up eating a bunch of stuff that I want to eat in the moment so that I can be healthier, so that I can be around longer. So maybe I can eat some things that are maybe not super healthy for me, but not eat all of them so that I can, you know, be around longer to see my son grow up, you know, so I can run, so I can go do things. You know, there there is a giving up in order to gain. And often we can't just have everything. You know, you need to give up some things to gain other things. That is so true. And oftentimes we, we, we think of maybe when we're being pruned, we just automatically think, oh, it's God's judgment. God's judgment's coming down upon our country, the world, the church. Maybe it is. Maybe. But I don't know. That probably shouldn't be a knee-jerk reaction. It could be God wanting to prune us not, uh, and uh, to see us bear more fruit. This is a time where maybe God is answering our, the prayers that we've had for so long, saying, God, please help a revival to happen. And... God often doesn't do things the way we want him to do things. And I don't think anyone would have ever have picked a COVID-19 as the catalyst for revival. Is it? I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Um, but if it is, I sure don't want to be, uh, miss that uh, chance uh, to allow evil to be used for good. Yeah. I think it's, like like you're saying, it's important for us to remember that it's God who has the plan, right? It's it's him who is, from a place of love, putting us in these positions to be pruned. And what I love is Jim looking at that word saying, we think of pruned as cutting. But often these vines were, were, were on the ground, and you would have to put a, a vine that was doing really well up on a rock so that it could continue to grow. You know, and so we think of pruning as purely negative, but sometimes it's just God putting us in a different position so we can be more fruitful. That's good. And what I mean, whatever it is, it's always for our good, right? He, he's no matter how hard it is, no matter how painful it is, and boy, it can be painful. It can be hard. Um, but man, it, I've often thought it's got to frustrate the powers of darkness when the most evil things 
can backfire. And um, good comes out of it. Enormous good comes out of this horrible grief. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And I think the other thing that, that I think is really interesting is that as Christians, we are not the ones who are shaping what our what our branches look like, right? Like um, we are giving up that control to God. And I think that can be scary and that can add to the pain, right? Because sometimes we make decisions not because of what we want to do, but because God is leading us. And yet, if he is looking out for our good, I think we'll look back and see that the the mind and the hands that were shaping our life were not our own. And so whereas I might have chosen something selfish, I might have chosen, instead I'll make an unselfish choice and I'll see the fruit of living in the way that God has called us to live. And I think that's pretty cool. Oh, I do too. And I, I love the analogy of the sometimes the, the branches wanting to become the vine themselves right. and, and to shape themselves. And that's not the way it was designed. That's not yeah. the way God wants it. That's not the way we should want it. Yeah. I make a yeah. bad vine. I, made a, I make a much better branch. Yeah. Yeah. What a, what a really good branch that you and I could make. Yeah. If yeah. we're plugged into the vine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's true because we want to, if I'm the source of life for my family, for, for our friendships, God, like, no, it's God who is the source. We are just the branches, right? If I try to make myself this, this all central thing, it's going to be disappointing because I'm not, I'm not God. Yeah. There is a word out there for us trying to be the vine ourselves, and that is called hell. And uh, it, it is not a pretty picture. I don't bring beauty into the world. I don't bring love into the world. I don't ultimately bring joy. I, I benefit from those things. And can you imagine uh, the world given to you by Scott? Um, and, well, that would be um, hell. That would be a horrible thing because I didn't give anybody anything. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not the, you know, the, the, the originator of anything that's ultimately good. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, come and join us. Like we say every week, we don't have all the answers, uh, but we are trying our best to plug in to that source, this God who, who is, who does know all things, who loves us and who wants to shape our lives so that we can better reflect him. And so join us next week as we again, listen to a message that helps us to be more like Jesus. 